Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. You're glad to be in church. I'm glad you're here. Awesome. Go ahead. You can be seated if you can. It just feels good in here today. Wow. So glad you're here. And uh, I'm praying that you encounter Jesus today. You know, that's why we exist as a church, is to help people encounter Jesus. And that goes for like every single one of us, every single time we gather. This isn't about a show on the stage or anything like that, man. This is, this. we want everybody to encounter Jesus. But there are also people that are here today that maybe have never encountered him before. We, we pray today you'll encounter Jesus in a life-changing way because every encounter with Jesus is life-changing. As somebody said, amen, amen. amen. Speaking of encountering Jesus, um, I want to mention that we talked a little bit about already in this service. I want to mention next week, though, uh, next week is going to be a very, very special Sunday, and you should have got some tickets uh, on your way in. Grab them on the way out if not, and we're going we're gonna to pray uh, about this at the end of service, but next week is uh, Super Sunday, and um, we are believing for uh, just so many people to encounter Christ for the first time next week. Next week, I'm going to tell you out now, but I'll be preaching a message called The Penalty talking about the penalty of sin. And, uh, and I'm gonna, towards the end of that message, I'm gonna talk about what the, what the power of grace does against the penalty of sin, that, that we don't have to suffer the penalty of sin because of God's grace. And uh, there are gonna be uh, so many people, we have, we have so many uh, first-time guests. I'm not sure where we're gonna put them in this service, but bring them anyway, we'll figure it out. So don't miss next week, okay? Be here next week, but also don't come alone. Okay, a couple times, he, people, we, we, we always... We, we believe that we have a pretty awesome church. So we, we always bring people to church with us, right? Like, that's our normal culture. A couple times a year that we go, hey, this weekend, like, really bring somebody. Like, don't come alone. So don't miss next week. Bring somebody with you. It's super Sunday. There is a game later on that day, but really, it's going to be super uh, that morning in, in service. We, we call it Supernatural Sunday. Because the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of salvation. And so people are going to come to know Christ next Sunday. You can be a part of that. Grab some tickets on your way out if you don't have any. Well, go to Romans chapter one. Are you there yet? Romans chapter one. You're like, no, because you have not mentioned it yet. All right, Romans, if you were in the spirit though, you would have known. You'd have just been, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Romans chapter one. Go ahead and go to Romans chapter one. I'm gonna start reading in verse 18. Romans 1, 18 through 23. Uh, Romans chapter number one, verses 18 through 23. This is what the word of God says. You know, the word of God's the truth. Amen? Like, it's not, it's not truth because we're Christians. It's, it's everybody's truth. Really, that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans 1, 18 through 23. For the wrath of God, he says, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, remember that, 
namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Remember that. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God and they uh, though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I'm going to preach a message today called, There is a Desire. There is a desire. We're going to pray one more time. Father, speak to us today, your word, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. That was a short prayer. Short prayers touch heaven too. All right. I could open this message today, and I'm not going to, but I could open this message today by talking about, I don't know, some particular food, some particular dish that I partook of at some particular restaurant and uh, let's say this week I ate at a restaurant and I ordered a particular dish and it was, oh, it was so delicious. And uh, maybe I took a picture of it while I, again, I'm not going to. I sense some of you getting excited about this. I'm not doing it. I'm just saying I could do it. And I could show you the picture from the, the dish I ate. It was so delicious. And it was at this restaurant. And I know exactly what would happen in so many of your lives. So many of you would start to look at the person that you came to church with. And you'd be like, we're going to lunch after this. Be like, you wanna you wanna go try that? And like as I described the dish and how tender the meat was prepared and the sides con- contrasted the flavor of the meat so perfectly. As I did this and as I showed the picture, it would stir up this craving in so many of you. I could and I'm not going to. That's about, I'm just saying I could. And the reason why I know I could do that and it would work is because I've done it in the past. A couple, couple months, uh, maybe a couple months ago now, maybe a few weeks, I don't know, but I talked about a particular brand of ice cream, and I, I mentioned its flavors, its exotic flavors, and uh, several of you have come to me since then and confessed you're, you've fallen in the, uh, you know, you've fallen short in this area. I was at it, we had a, 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 Wednesday, a week ago Wednesday we had a new members, a big crew, new members come into the church, and so we were hanging out with them after the service on that Wednesday night, and I was talking with all of them, but one of the couples I was talking to, they said, oh, you got us with that, with that ice cream, and they said, yeah, we went, and uh, we've been several times. I said, well, what's your favorite flavor? So we just had this moment, we're comparing notes on which is the best flavor, and I kind of feel bad, you know, for igniting that uh, in some of you, and so today's Food that I'd like to talk about is steamed broccoli. Put the picture up, please. No, I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not. But that's what I feel like I should do, is do steamed broccoli. Uh, but I'm not going to. And here, the reason why that works, the reason why I could mention a particular dish from a particular restaurant and it would, it would just stir this craving within you, the reason why it works is because of this. Because there is already an innate desire in you for food. So you, you already have a hunger for food. I'm, I'm just steering that to a particular food. And if you had no hunger for food, it didn't matter what picture I show, how I described it, you'd be like, ah, I'm not interested in that. Uh, you already have a thirst. That's why sometimes a particular type of drink will look delicious to you or sound delicious or be particularly refreshing because that desire exists. 
I'm preaching today on There is a Desire, and I want to start with a quote, a a section of writing from C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest Christian thinkers in modern day. And uh, um, this is what C.S. Lewis says. He has a, um, uh, what's called the argument of desire. And in this um, argument of desire, it's one of the proofs of God. What C.S. Lewis, well, I'll just read what he says as he's talking about this. This is one of the proofs that God does exist. And here's what he says. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is a such thing as food, like I was talking about. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is a such thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is a such thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it and suggest the real thing. That's one of our our catchphrases around here. We say, find something real. See, what C.S. Lewis is saying there is that there is within... Every single person. I'm not talking about Christians. I know that in here we go, oh, we hunger for God. No, no, no. I'm saying you can think of the person that's the furthest away from God that you know. And in their spirit, in their soul, in their mind, in their heart, there is a desire for more. There's a desire for something real. I'll say it this way. There is a desire for deity. Embedded in the creation is a hunger and a desire for fellowship with its Creator And people try to satisfy it with all these different things, but nothing else ever actually satisfies it. What does that tell us? It tells us that it's, it's not meant to be satisfied by anything on this earth, but by God. There is a desire in every single person's life, heart, soul. So let's take a detailed look at what Romans chapter 1 ta- says about that desire. And if you're taking some notes, you can write this down. But the, the first thing that, I, that Paul is saying that I just kind of pulled out of this is that the desire is deep. It's in everybody. But it's, it's deep within. It's hardwired within everybody. Look at what Paul says in verse 18 through 20. We read it a moment ago. The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's why the desire is deep. Like they, they, they suppress it and they, they push it down, sometimes by the other things that they're trying to satisfy that desire, but it gets suppressed, it gets pushed down for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Here it is, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, it's been clearly perceived. It's deep within us. Ever since the creation of the world in the image, in the, in the, uh, in the things that have been made, So much so that they are without excuse. So we can be certain as we read these these, uh, few verses in Romans 1, we can be certain that God has certainly endued, created all men with this idea, this sense 
of the Godhead. He constantly is renewing that. And sometimes, occasionally, he's enlarging that sense in some of us. And so some of you have had those moments where like, it was kind of always there, but then there's these moments of, of heightened uh, awareness of it. That's going to happen next week as, as, we, as we proclaim the gospel. It's, these, these people are going to be like, oh, that's, that's what I've been sensing, and that's what I've been, been feeling in, in my life. And it's so real, it's so deeply embedded in us, that God says you're not even allowed to pretend it doesn't exist. What did he say? He said, it's, it's so embedded in us that men are without excuse. Now, I could preach the rest of the day on just that, on what that looks like and what that means and what that says to our, our mission, that men are without excuse, that, that they've got this in. Now, they don't know how to always translate it. They don't always know what to do with the desire, but the desire is so, so strong that men are without excuse. I like what author Leif Samuel wrote in a, a magazine called His Magazine. Oh, hear this. This is so powerful. He's talking about missionaries that go all over to the world into these remote places. He says, many missionaries point out that the heathen know more than we think. They know that there is a God. There are no atheists among heathen tribes. There ha- Watch this. There has never been discovered upon, uh, upon the earth a tribe of people, however small or depraved, which has not believed in some kind of God or had some system of worship. The heathen in so-called primitive tribes know that they have sinned, When a Christian comes to them and talks about sin, he often finds them ready to acknowledge that this is true. The heathens seem to know that their sins must be punished. They seem to be afraid of punishment and afraid of death, which which, uh, most men everywhere are afraid of death. That's part of this sense. It's part of the sense that when I die, there's something else going on. They know that sin must be atoned for, and they seek ways of appeasing the, the, the sin with their angry deities. Again, are they, is that desire always tr- taking them to the one true God? No, but this sense is hardwired. It's deep within the heart of every single human. Uh, we even see it in this country. Um, in October of 2022, Barna did some research and asked a bunch of Americans and found that three out of four say that they want to grow spiritually. This is, this is today. I mean, this is modern day. Three out of four say, I want to grow spiritually. Additionally, 77% say they believe in a higher power. Nearly half of the people polled said, I'm more hungry for God and the spiritual than I was before the pandemic. Overall, 80% of Americans say that there is a spiritual or supernatural realm. Okay, so... This idea that like, well, nobody, nobody cares and nobody wants and nobody knows and nobody, everybody, nobody believes. No, there is something hard. It's deep within and it's, it's everywhere. Uh, philosopher uh, Kaiman Kwan, he says this, listen to this, religious believers are still the overwhelming majority of the world's population at 84%. Across the globe, across the world, still 84% are are some kind of religious, non-religious people are still the minority at 16%. Clearly, their human tendency is to believe in the divine, to have a desire for the divine. The desire is deep. If you're taking notes, also, the desire is darkened. It's, it's deep in there. It's hardwired within us, but it does get darkened. And this is what Paul talks about in verse 21. For although they knew God... 
They knew it. It was somewhere in there, but they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And so what happened? They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And now picture them feeling their way around this attempt to find the meaning of life, but their hearts are darkened. That desire can get darkened. The, me and my wife, for, I don't know, probably for nearly two decades, we had a car in our family. It was a, it was a big old Chevy Tahoe, and uh, we drove that thing until it did not want to be driven anymore. I mean, we, we gave it uh, everything it had, and, uh, and it, when we finally said goodbye, it was, it was kind of hard to say goodbye to it, because a lot of memories, and the kids were in there, and it showed, man. It was like, uh, and so, uh, I mean, a couple hundred thousand miles, and it was, we just, we drove it. And so, there towards the end, when she was uh, starting and to, to go away, um, uh, the, the gauges on the dash all stopped working. And uh, I drove it for about, uh, I don't know, man, probably a year, year and a half with just no gauges whatsoever. Pray for me. Just pray for your brother. Uh, but uh, no speedometer, no uh, RPMs, no oil. There was just, they were all the same all the time. I was just going 150 all the time. Like it just, that's how it was. And uh, I just drove like that all, all the time and got kind of used to it. And there's two things that jumped out to me as I was uh, living that experience. And the first one is this, is that if I had been pulled over for speeding, my lack of gauges would not have been an excuse to that officer. You know what I'm saying? Like if I was going, you know, 140 down 417, I got pulled over. But like, officer, as you can see, uh, I'm still going 140. Like it's, <laughs> I don't... Uh, what am I supposed to do? I mean, you can't possibly ticket me. That would not have worked. It would not have been an excuse. The second thing that jumps out to me is this, is that uh, because it was, I was, with, I, I was not going to be an excuse, now what I did is I depended on others who had gauges that worked in their vehicles, and I would just stay with the flow of traffic. Now, I was darkened in my understanding. I did not know exactly how fast we were going, so what did I need? I needed somebody else. I needed somebody else to, who, who did understand the direction they were going, who did understand the RPMs they were at, who did understand the miles per hour that they were going, and so I relied upon them. This is kind of what it looks like when somebody has this desire for something. They know that there must be more than this, and they tried to satisfy with this, and they've tried to satisfy with this. What do they need most? They need somebody else who will come along in their life and say, look, I know what you're looking for. I know where you're trying to get to. Let me show you the way. Helen Keller, most of you know who she is, but for those that don't, born in like the later 1800s, died around uh, 1960. And uh, at a very, very, as, as a baby, she had a severe illness, about with illness that ended up uh, taking away her sight and her hearing. And uh, so obviously it was making it very difficult for her uh, to communicate. And she had a teacher that came alongside and began to help her teach, uh, to help teach her how to communicate. Ann Sullivan was her name. And so for years as, as, uh, as she was growing up and even as an adult, uh, Ann Sullivan's teaching her how to communicate. Helen Keller ends up being an incredible author and uh, God uses her in all kinds of cool ways. But the story is told that as all this, this teaching has been going on and she's, she's taught her how to sign and taught her symbols for different things, and this is years and years into that process, now Ann Sullivan, the teacher, decides to teach Helen Keller uh, the name God. 
And so she signs and with symbols and shows her this, the word God and begins to explain God to Helen Keller. And much to Ann Sullivan's shock and amazement, Helen Keller spelled back and said, thank you for telling me God's name. She said, teacher, for he has touched me many times before. I just didn't know his name. How does that happen? It's because we are born with this, this sense of deity, this desire for deity. And it's deep, and sometimes it gets darkened. And when it gets darkened, what all that needs to happen is somebody needs to be some light. That's why Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Who's in your life that just needs some light? The desire is there. There is a desire. There just needs to be light. Last one would be this. The desire is also definable. This is the good news of the gospel. The desire is definable and discoverable. Look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. There's the definition. There's the definable part of this desire. What that desire, what you are desiring is the glory of God, to glorify God and to experience the glory of God. But they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and even creeping things. Paul goes on to say in verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God. That's the discoverable part. We can know the truth about God, but they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what happens. People try to translate and satisfy that desire. And instead of the truth of God, instead of the glory of God, no, it becomes created things. The author of Ecclesiastes, he did this, and he writes about it, and I don't have time to go through and show all of the scriptures, but he's trying to find like the true object of his longing, and he's just coming up empty-handed. He said, I've tried to satisfy with all these different things. He talks about trying to satisfy it with philosophy, trying to satisfy it with alcohol, trying to satisfy it with riches, trying to satisfy it with women, trying to satisfy all these different things. And at the end of, of his life and at the end of this writing about this, he finally decides only God can satisfy this void that I feel in my soul. But some never get to that point. And so, um, so they start to like... They have this desire to worship something, which is kind of how, like, that's kind of how celebrity is even a thing. Because, see, the question is not, will somebody worship? The question is always, what or who somebody will worship? You, we are born to worship. Why? Because that desire is deep. It's embedded within us. It gets darkened. And so that's why there's celebrity. And that's why people worship performers and people, I mean, you go to a show and you, you, you look at what they're doing. It's very similar to what well, y'all looked like a few minutes ago. Because it just, there's this, it's just within us. 
And when we don't discover it, it goes all kinds of different directions. Let me say it this way. It was the, it was the greatest honor that God did to man is that he made us in his image. But the greatest dishonor that, God, that, that man does to God is that we put God in, in human image. And now we, we start to worship things and created things instead of the creator. So someone has to come along and make this desire definable and discoverable. So I started in verse 18 of Romans 1. It started with this word um, for, for the wrath of God is being poured out. And it starts with a connecting uh, word that certainly points us back to previous verses. So for the wrath of God. So it makes us want to go back and say, well, what's before that? So I, I do want to do that and go back to the two verses before that. Chapter 1, verse 16. Before, before Paul got, gets into this whole thing about how there is a desire that's in there and men are without excuse and they're looking for God and they sense God and they know something's there, but they're, they're, they're in there suppressing it. And before he gets into all of that, this is what he says two verses before for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying the reason why I am not ashamed of the gospel is because people need the gospel. People actually want the gospel. They just don't even know it. They are itching for the gospel. It's like, a, it's like an itch that they can't reach. You know when you go to somebody and say, can you get that one spot right there? Like this, he, he goes on in, in Romans to talk about, the theme of Romans is the power of the gospel. And he goes on to talk about through the, through the book of Romans that everybody you pass by on the street, they are in need of this gospel. They are craving this gospel. Yes, they're going at it all kinds of, all kinds of different ways and they, they don't know how to define it and they don't know how to, get, but they want the gospel. That's why he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that's why we do weeks like next week. Because when you invite somebody to a service like this, you are not putting them out. You are not bugging them. You are not annoying them, no matter what the look on their face is, because I promise when they lay that head on that pillow at night, they're thinking, is this what it all is? You're doing them a favor. Well, let me shine some light into that desire that's deep in your soul. I want to read an email that I got um, a little less than a year ago now right after uh, Super Sunday last year. This is what it says, Dear Pastor John, and then they start out in the email by talking about that they are not NFL fans in any capacity or any sport for that matter. They say, we've, we've never been to a football, soccer, basketball, or hockey game in 15 years that we've been together. We're just not that family, LOL. Carlos and I live in a gated community where our neighbors are very friendly and and kind with each other and at times share common interests. There are so also many kids, which means many birthdays. Uh, also means a chance to share our faith. However, we are not, uh, we're not all are open to hear about Jesus. And we have tried. We've been living there for about four years now. We've invited some of them to the special events at church, which none have accepted until recently. After a couple of years of asking one specific family, they finally said yes. 
I asked if I could share their names and they agreed. Their names are Ruby and Dave. I also asked them if I could share their names and they, they did agree. Ruby and Dave also have two children. They say, we, we know that the NFL is an event that many throughout get together and watch at home, even non-fans. We figured Super Sunday weekend would be a good opportunity to invite them to church because it would be different. People who don't know Jesus think we are boring or full of judgment and that you don't have to dress a certain way or you have to act a, uh, act a specific way to even be a part of who we are and what we believe in. This was a chance to show our neighbors that this is the complete opposite. As Ruby and Dave and their babies entered the church, they were simply amazed at everything. They were able to check in their two babies and proceeded to sit in the sanctuary not knowing what to expect. Ruby asked me what we believed in and I explained it to her. Then she asked me if the service was also online so that she could share it with another neighbor that was looking for a church. I pause. I just like that part that the first time guest was inviting people to church during the first service. I'm just, I'm sorry. That's awesome. And some of y'all still haven't invited me today. Okay. Um, I'm just, I'm just kidding. This was a yes moment for Carlos and I. Ruby and Dave were very engaged in service. And when the altar call came, they went forward. Since that Super Sunday service, they've been attending faith and even attended the marriage and parenting conference. They stated they want to continue to grow, going to church, uh, making faith their home church. Wow. They say, are we NFL fans? No. Do we get creative and do whatever it takes to share Jesus? Absolutely. The point of Super Sunday was to get people who do not know the gospel and otherwise uh, find it not interesting to say yes to an invite simply because of the word Super Sunday and through these means introduce Jesus. We live in a world where it's getting harder to reach people, but if it takes something as simple as Super Sunday to bring a family who is in desperate need of Jesus. Some of you go, are you still reading the email, Pastor? Are you preaching? No, I'm still reading the email. They're preaching. All right, I'm letting them preach. Here we go. If it takes something as simple as Super Sunday to bring a family who's in desperate need of Jesus, it will change their lives forever than Super Sunday it is. Every person is made so differently. But God will meet you, meet you at your level. And those levels can get very creative. And this is the awesomeness of our God. God bless you and your family for having a heart for Jesus. We love you, Elizabeth and Carlos. Isn't that awesome? Thankful for Elizabeth and Carlos and all. And I'm sure somebody's thinking, because that was, you know, 11 months ago or something. So I'm sure somebody's thinking, well, what about Ruby and Dave? How are they doing? But if you've been in this service, you actually saw Ruby and Dave already. They're two of the people that got baptized in water today in this service today. Amen. <laughs> Done starting point, growing in their faith. I'm, pr- I'm praying about who David and Ruby are going to bring to Super Sunday next week. I'm just, this thing's just going to keep on going, and we're just going to keep telling this story in perpetuity. I want you to grab one of these tickets. And I'm praying that this week, God will just remind you that there is a desire. That when God starts to stir you to invite somebody and you think, I don't know if they want, oh, there is a desire. Listen, they've been satisfying it perhaps with some of the worst things this world has to offer. But there is a desire. There just needs to be some light. Let's be the light of the world. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. 
Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.